Thanks for finding Motel Americana podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please consider helping it to continue running by clicking the support link at motelamericanapodcast.com or by finding us on Patreon. If you're already familiar with this podcast, you'll know that these stories are based upon the writings of Oscar Garrett, a kid who lived at the Motel Americana in the 80s and who bugged the rooms. The audio surveillance footage that Oscar captured clearly served as the source material for his semi-fictional writings, and those writings in turn serve as the source material for the audio drama that's presented here. Wherever possible, I, Jack Same, your narrator, have and will continue to intercut the actual surveillance audio that Oscar's bugs captured into the narrative. And this is the case for the present episode. A full account of my encounter with Oscar and how I came into possession with his writings and audio footage can be found in episodes one and two. If you haven't listened to those yet, I do suggest you start there, though it's not entirely necessary as most of the tales are self-contained. And so, with that out of the way, I'm pleased to share with you The Healer by Oscar Garrett. Marion had collected the numbers of every restaurant in the area that would deliver to the room. And so by the time he rang the desk bell, his support system had consisted of four pizzerias, two reasonably sanitary-looking Chinese places, a Jamaican jerk joint, a very decent hot wing shack, and what seemed like a great stroke of luck to Marion, the Crestview Diner, which was open to Marion's proposition for a special arrangement. Normally, no delivery, but the proprietor informed Marion that he had in his employee a legally licensed to drive busboy who was happy to set off on deliveries if Marion promised to tip well. Marion promised, then took a room on the second floor of the Motel Americana. 201. At time of check-in, he also had in his possession an ad he'd cut from the local paper. It declared simply, Bonafide Healer. Guaranteed or your money back. So after two and a half weeks of binge eating in his room, he finally screwed up the courage, spun the motel phone rotary around the requisite number of times, and four hours later found himself watching the movements of the ugliest mouth he had ever seen, as it said to him, I studied under a king. I'm heir to the throne. Marion objected. He said, Technically, you can't study to be a king. The mouth formed a sneer, but continued unimpeded. You take the picture, you take the soul. This was the first thing Baralari ever taught me. You know this name? The famous Baralari? We were sitting in a bar in Capri, overlooking a sea so blue, it hurt you to your childhood to look at it. Reno was laying low after Brando accosted him in the streets of Rome, threatened his life. The ugly mouth continued to weave words around and through its yellow-brown teeth, its open sores the whitened saliva coagulations lodged in the creases of the lips. Reno Baralari. (laughs) Even his name is immortal. I love saying it. I'll say it again. Reno Baralari. Rolls off the tongue like a wet kiss, don't it? Go ahead, say it. Marion declined, but as the mouth charged headlong into what Marion presumed was a sales pitch of some sort, he did venture to mouth the words as if they were a rumple of siltskin. The name formed in his breath, a whisper, floated like a feather. Baralari has had 76 cameras smashed, broken 11 ribs. He's been to the emergency room 162 times. 
162. Celebrities, they're animals. Brutal. One time. One time Sophia Loren put a cigarette out in his eye. Barilari had to wear a patch for four months straight. He couldn't shoot straight after that. But war is war. That's another thing Reno said, famously said, to the world at large, yes, but also to me directly, personally, as we sipped Campari from each other's glasses on the portico that day. Nothing like that, no. It's just Reno has very specific litmus tests for things like trust. Anyway, you take the soul with the picture. A cliche, yes, but one that bears further inquiry. For what Barilari liked to call sociological implications. He said, you infer from this photographic stole ceiling a kind of spiritual cannibalism. The healer paused here for effect, and Marion took the opportunity to say, Yeah, I'm not sure what any of this has to do with me. The healer looked around the room, then at Marion, accusingly. Most of us, most of us feed on images of beauty. We invent beauty, reinvent it. We obsess over beauty like a Geppetto with a puppet. Then we consume it like a Kronos. You understand consuming, yes. At least this. Most of us, beauty is our daily bread. We masticate beauty. Then we shit beauty out. The healer rose and leaned over Marion, who was lying flat on his back on the bed. With the exception of the daily crutch-aided glacial journey to the bathroom, it was the position from which he hadn't moved in a week. The healer clicked on a pen light and shined it into Marion's eyes one after another and made clucking sounds with his tongue saying, You ever know anyone? Reno asked me, and now I'm asking you. Think about it. Anyone who didn't care to look at their own stinking expulsion floating in the bowl after a movement? Marion could see no good coming from a response. He declined to offer one. Why would anyone do such a thing? Stare at their own floating feces? It makes no sense. To what end? What's there to see? I'll tell you, just as Baralari told me. What's there are equal parts pride and disdain for what we've done. That's what. If we accomplish nothing all day, we've accomplished this. Baralari had a theory that we derive a small sense of pride looking at the ruins of what we've done to the very thing that keeps us alive. A sense of purpose in life. This place is disgusting. And it was. The carpet was littered with food packaging of all forms, paper bags and plastic bags, plastic forks, plastic spoons and plastic knives, styrofoam cups, straws, dented tin rounds, ho-ho wrappers, eggshells and Chinese cartons, used napkins and half-emptied sauce cups of varying colors and states of decay. The waft of used grease and wet meat hung over everything, the smell of warm ketchup. The healer swatted at a fly and shook his head at the filth, then began pacing the room, stepping through the minefield as he crossed it. We were watching Jane Mansfield bathing in the Fountain of Trevi. She was what angels see when they imagine what angels look like. She was pretending to be Anita Eckberg, who I believe was pretending to be her in the Fellini. Anyway, Baralari said to me, his exact words were, If we accept that beauty is a godhead, then we can easily agree to say that we build our gods. We devour our gods. We shit our gods. We were also at that moment watching a man who was watching Mansfield take her bath. Let's say this man's last name rhymed with Lenity. 
Just as this Lenity stepped from the shadows and approached the Angel's Angel and embraced her in a kiss, Reno stepped from his own shadow and took the picture to end all pictures. I've never seen a man happier in my life, more triumphant, or another man more furious. We fled giddy as schoolboys running from the yelp of a teacher who just sat on a thumbtacked chair. But as we were fleeing, four men in dark suits popped out of a black car and shoved Reno to the cobblestone. They smashed his camera and turned the film inside to Linguini. Then, they used Barolari's head as a soccer ball for a while. A football, excuse me. But later, in his apartment, holding a cold brichol to his swollen jaw, Reno told me, This is the price we pay to provide our service to humanity. This is the cost the minister-priest pays to perform the ritual sacrifice of the bloodletting. Having to pay for a service you provide is an irony that doesn't escape me, I told him. Reno shook this off. He stepped out onto the deck and looked over his city. The city. You could see the Coliseum standing on the horizon. The smashed cameras, he said. The broken bones. Chump change. Even the missing teeth. What gets me is the hypocrisy. The fattening process, Barolari called it. Bigger than the Coliseum was a billboard of Monica Vitti on a building just across the street. Thirty feet wide if an inch. Bigger and more beautiful than life itself. Look at her, Barolari demanded. I built that billboard for her. Literally painted her face there for all to worship. More magnificent on the red carpet than any of God's children has a right to be. I snap her at just the right moment. Just the right angle. And voila. Immortality. Marion whispered to himself. Redemption. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. I've seen them shake his hand as if seeing an old friend. Once Marcello paid for our entire week's stay at the Hotel Martinez. Barolari told me, comes to the point you can't tell who the hunter and who the prey are. Reno loved Giorgio Caproni, the poet. Così si forma un cerchio dove l'insinguetto insegue il suo inseguitore. The healer stared down at Marion, a look of disgust smeared across his lips. A swine before the pearl, eh? I'll translate. Thus a circle forms in which the one chased chases the one chasing. 99% of the published celebrity photos, supposedly candid, they're actually staged. We do our duty. We fatten the pigs for the slaughter. Barolari pointed to the glorious face on the billboard with his bajol and said, when it comes time to cut out her heart, she'll act surprised, indignant, as if she didn't know it was coming, the bloodletting. A darkness overtook the healer. Christ didn't dictate the terms of the crucifixion. What gives them the right? It's not right. Now you look at him, he's a wreck of a man. Crushed bones, scars, head trauma. He's got a plate in his skull. Marion watched the healer point to his own head as a stand-in for Baralari's. He's not all there, but to this day, Reno bears no grudge. Reno believes in suffering for his art. Not me. I came to hate the pigs. I couldn't wait for their slaughter. Before I even snapped my first picture, I wanted to taste their blood. The ugly mouth stopped talking. The man moved to the window. He parted the curtain a few inches. Marion watched him and wondered what he saw up there in that silence. The parking lot below. The turnpike beyond that. 
What else? A month after, Elizabeth Taylor's muscle put Barillari in traction. An incident in Venice. From his hospital bed, Barillari told me, you're ready. I wasn't. Not by a long shot. I was given a time, a place on the Rue Royale. The target was a young starlet who stole a scene out from under Leslie Karen so completely that Karen demanded the scene cut from the film. It had little effect though. The young starlet star was rising. Word got around. She was in demand and already being offered leading roles opposite the Cliffs and Hudsons of the worlds. This without a single celluloid frame of her face to have graced the screen. My assignment was to take a quote-unquote candid picture of the young starlet walking into Maxim's barefoot. A quote-unquote scandal to end all scandals would ensue, and that scandal would incidentally catapult the young starlet into the imaginations of everyone on the planet born with eyes to see. A fattening assignment, not a slaughter. We all start somewhere. I greased the palm at the door in order to plate of beef tongue. I readied my camera just as Barilari taught me. There was only one other man in the room. I recognized him as the Greek shipping magnate Aristotle Socrates Onassis. More money than Zeus himself, richer than the Garden of Eden. And when she walked in, my God, when she walked in. The ugly mouth closed, the jaw muscles tightened. I was paralyzed, I couldn't breathe. I ceased to exist, and I failed to fulfill my duty. I failed Reno, failed at fulfilling my only purpose for being in Paris, my only purpose for being anywhere. I took no picture of the young barefooted goddess. I took no soul. The Mater D was evidently a blind man. He turned the young goddess away for improper attire, as was devised by the young goddess's publicity apparatus. And just like that, she was gone. The woman. The vision. Poof. Aristotle jumped up and followed after her immediately, and I, finally released from the young goddess's spell, followed after him. The healer began cleaning the room, depositing Marion's food remnants and used wrappings into the garbage can, making a pile in the corner of the room. Reno had warned me. Never get involved with them. He told me subject and object are not interchangeable, despite what these blasted postmodernists might tell you. The observer who becomes the observed creates existential crises for both parties. Over and over, Reno warned me of this, and I failed to heed this cardinal rule, and on my first assignment. Out on the street, Aristotle had overtaken the goddess. When she failed to respond to his questions, when she ignored him utterly, when she refused to stop walking to indulge his propositions, he grabbed her by the shoulders and with madness in his eyes made demands, shouting them into her perfect face. He demanded to know her name, demanded she acknowledge him, demanded that she take a joyride on his giant yacht. The biggest goddamn yacht on the Riviera, he screamed insanely. Taken out of context, the altercation would have appeared to anyone to be a lover's spat teeth-sinking delicacies that would accomplish our objective, but better than any manufactured transgression of social etiquette by a long shot. But I saw fear in the young goddess's eyes, and again I failed to be what I claimed to be. 
Instead of taking the photo, I smashed Aristotle in the face with my camera. <coughs> Reno's camera. As Aristotle lay at our feet, I asked the barefooted goddess if she was alright. She folded into my arms, confused and sobbing from the chaos that swept her up. We should leave before the police get here, I told her. She agreed. I took her to the room I had the hotel to swat and consoled her. We drank Campari. <laughs> of course we drank Campari. And we were married 12 days later. Marion's room was nearly clean. It was a mistake. My jealousy ate me from the inside out. We drank, we fought. Epic fights that rivaled that of the Greeks. I hid her from the eyes of men. I forbade her to continue pursuing a career on the silver screen. I forbade her from magazine shoots, from sunbathing, from leaving the house. The healer was at the window again, looking out through finger-parted curtains. Well, the woman had a revenge on me. She gave me ulcers. She gave me chronic back pain, neck pain, toothaches, poison ivy, insomnia, irritable bowel, panic attacks, high blood pressure, you name it. Cancer itself. I was dying, nearly dead, but in the end I refused to go without a whimper. And like Aristotle before me, I was blinded by my rage and the various diseases she cast upon me. I locked her into a closet once and for all. She escaped and smashed me in the face with a mirror. I remember little of what happened next. I cornered her. I bit her. I bit her so hard and so savagely, she was stuck in my teeth. I tasted her blood in my mouth. The ugly mouth breathed deeply. I swallowed her flesh. He leaned over the giant man on the bed. Look in my eyes, Marion. They're clear. I'm cured. You're insane. I can heal you. I should have known. You're nothing but two-bit charlatan. Careful, fat boy. You're no Barlari. You're just a baker. A huckster holy man. The healer grinned at him. Wait here. The healer left the room. For good, Marion hoped. But he returned a moment later with a woman in his arms. Marion knew it was the woman. The goddess. Or what was left of her. She was an amputee now. Her limbs severed at varying lengths, four fingers missing from the left hand, from the elbow down on her right, the entire left foot, everything below the right knee. Her skin was inflamed, nearly every inch of her was eaten away, rotten, scorched with infection. But her face, her face remained perfect, angelic, beautiful. The ugly mouth had spared the woman her beauty or had failed to take it. The healer stood over him, the woman in his arms. You should feel blessed, Marion. Aside from me, you'll be the first beneficiary of my miracle. Whatever it is you're dying from, it will be healed. What, diabetes, gout, blood disease? She can cure you of hunger itself. The woman did not speak, but she looked at Marion as tears streamed from his eyes. All you have to do is do what you do. Eat. With the movement of concrete, Marion brought himself to a sitting position. It took a moment for him to catch his breath. 
The healer lowered the woman down to Marion, inches from his face. Marion looked at the woman and sobbed. Go ahead. You want to be healed? No. Not like that. What? Then how? You wouldn't understand. Why the fuck did you call me then? I... I came here to die. You what? You called me to be healed. Yes. Then to die. Redemption. Redeemed. The healer scrutinized Marion, stunned. Marion touched the woman's perfect face. I'm sorry for, for what we've done to you. Where the fuck is my money? Where's my money? The healer dropped the woman to the floor and began searching the room, flinging drawers open, rifling through Marion's bags. As he did this, Marion picked up the phone and dialed emergency. He said, I'd like to report a crime, a murder, a travesty. Staring at the woman at his feet, he told the man on the other end of the line, Motel Americana 201. He hung up the phone. He moved to the corridor, connecting the main room from the doorway. The healer had found the money, a short stack on the Gideon, and tried to flee, but Marion would not budge. You will not pass this way. You bastard! She's infected you! Can't you see she's infected you too? That's her way! Sirens sang in the distance as the healer slammed futilely against the mass of Marion, a wall of flesh. The healer turned to the woman sprawled on the carpet. You! This is your doing, isn't it? You planned this! The sirens drew closer. The healer shoved the bills into his pocket, ripped the television from the stand, and flung it through the window. Without hesitation, clutching Marion's money, he went out after it, a wingless albatross. The healer was crawling on hands and knees across the lot when the police arrived. And when they finally came through the door of room 201 of the Motel Americana, they found Marion hovering in the air, light as a feather four feet from the floor, with mangled beauty in his arms. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. Big shout out and special thanks to Motel Americana's newest and first Patreon supporter, Kim Petrosky. Knowing folks like Kim are listening and enjoying the show literally is the encouragement podcasts like this need to carry on. If anyone else out there is also enjoying the show, please consider supporting it by reviewing it on your favorite podcast platform. That's free. You can also go to motelamericanapodcast.com and click support or search for us on Patreon. The support process takes less than two minutes. And of course, you can donate however much or little you're comfortable with. And rest assured, every cent that's donated goes directly to improving the quality of the show for you, the listener. It will help get the resources needed to improve audio quality, expand the show's infrastructure and reach, as well as allow me to integrate Oscar's original audio surveillance recordings into the stories. All said and done, it'll make for a better audio experience for you, the listener, and really, that's the ultimate goal here, to tell a good story. So again, please click the support button at motelamericanapodcast.com, search for the show on Patreon, or just review it on your favorite podcast platform. 
Thanks for listening again and for checking in to the odd and lovely rooms of the Motel Americana. <laughs>